0: Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. Turn with me. You know, I always struggle at Christmas season because I'm not the type of person who feels that I have to be compelled to preach what the calendar tells me to preach. It's Christmas, so I have to preach a Christmas message, although I'm going to try to preach one today, all right? So turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to just read a few verses out of that, and we'll go from there. The Bible says that in verse one, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And now there were same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Father, I ask you to use your words this morning. Use me as a vehicle for your words to minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So you see this story. You know the story. How many times have you heard the Christmas story? That you know what? What is this Christmas story about? Is it just about a young Jewish girl who gets pregnant with the Messiah? Is it uh, about a man who wanted to dismiss her of it? That's certainly part of the story. Is it about Jesus being born in a manger and no room in the inn? That's certainly part of the story. Um, is it the story of shepherds in a field who encountered this angelic proclamation? and the glory of God surrounded him. That's certainly part of the story. Is it about wise men seeking him and finding him two years later? That's certainly part of the story. But how many know it's not the story? Um, while I would suggest to you is that this is part of the story, it's not the story. They are not the central figures of the story. They are not the stars of the drama. How many know the story is about God? The story is about God. How many know the leading man of the story? is God. The plot is simple. The plot is simple. If you were making a movie, this plot would be simple. The Christmas story is about the passionate pursuit of an insatiable love that God had for people. It's a chick flick, it's a love story. How many know Christmas is a love story? The leading man is God. Cover to cover of the Bible is the drama of a God who passionately pursues people to fall in love with him because he is fervently in love with them. That if they will turn his their heart to him, he will turn his heart to them. But how many know his heart's already bent towards us? Amen? You see, I wanna, so what, what, what was born in this manger? We say a oh, baby. Well, okay. But I wanna suggest to you this morning that it was more than a baby that was born, and it makes, how many know there was lots of babies born that year? How many know there was lots of babies born even in Bethlehem that year? How many know in Jerusalem there was lots? How do I know that? How many know Herod tried to kill all the ones who were two years and younger? Because he was trying to kill the one who would be born king of the Jews. All right, so there were lots of babies that were born, but the difference was who this baby was. Who the baby was made all the difference. But I want to suggest to you it's more than just a baby was born. This morning I want to talk to you for a few moments about something else that was born, manifested in that manger on that day. And I would suggest to you this morning that in that manger love was born. Love was manifested. That God's love for the world was manifested in that manger in the form of a baby. How many know the Bible says, For God so loved the world, most basic Bible verse we've all learned, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Think about this. What is, the, what is it that God is doing when he has this baby being born in this manger? He is demonstrating and manifesting and birthing his love into the world so that you and I could see the love of God, experience the love of God, have the love of God, and come to a place where we put our faith in Him and we would all be saved everlasting. Think about this it's an unquenchable love that God has. The God has this insatiable love for humanity, He has a ravenous love for you and I. How many of you know what it is to be in love? Hey, some of you husbands could have raised your hand a little quicker, like a little more passionately. Yeah, come on. I'm trying to set you up. It's Christmas time. And you guys, I've often said, i got the dumbest men in America. They just don't get it when I'm setting them up. I'm like playing volleyball with you. I'm setting it up for you to spike it, drive it home, and you drop the ball. Man, when 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 you were, let me go back because I don't want to say that some of you don't have that same thing today. But how many remember when you were chasing her and you were pursuing her and you were after her and you were in love with her and you were enraptured by her? How many of you did crazy stuff? Anybody? Well, you hopeless romantics, most of you. I mean, okay. Like, I mean, you, you did crazy stuff. Because you wanted, you wanted her to know how much you loved her. And you, want, and, you, and, what, what, and you hoped that she would respond to that love. Right? This is what God does. God is so crazy in love with you. That he did something crazy, unimaginable. I'm going to give my son, because I love you, so that he'll die for you, and you can come to me. He has this unquenchable love that drives him. You, you know, I'm going to start with this. Everything God does is from one foundation: love. Everything God does is from love. How many know as parents, the foundation of all that we do should be love? The foundation of, ability, okay, we love our children. Amen? Everything we do for them should come from that foundation of love. Because how many know when you love your children, it really will help you not to kill them when you want to? But everything has to flow from that foundation of a heartfelt love for those children. Because if it does not flow from the foundation of love, how many know there are things that they will do some days that will cause you to resent them? But you can't resent those you love. And, And so now, from this aspect, you do everything from a foundation of love. You give, you bless, you sacrifice. Man, if you're a selfish parent, get a grip, man. You're doing it wrong. You do everything, you sacrifice. You're selfless. You give, you provide. Even your discipline comes from love, not anger. How many have ever failed that one? (laughs) All right? The reason that you discipline, the Bible says we discipline our children because we love them. And God disciplines us because He loves us. Everything God does is from one foundation, and that is love. Think about this. God, in the beginning... Let's go back to the beginning of the Bible for a moment. He creates humanity. He creates Adam. He creates Eve. He puts them in a garden. And he puts them in there. And he does multiple things out of his love. He gives them his image. He blesses them. He gives them authority. He gives them dominion. He gives them everything they need from that position of love. And they, how you know that their mandate on their life was not to fill the garden? It's an amazing thing. I got a message coming up someday on this. When he put them in the garden... He said, fill the earth and subdue it. The mandate on humanity was always bigger than the garden. Can I suggest to you that the mandate on the church is always bigger than the church? That we, the image bearers of Christ, would fill the earth with image bearers of Christ. That's what humanity was to do. But out of his love, he creates man, puts him in a perfect environment, gives him everything he needs. And what does man do with that? Man says, I'm gonna sin. All right, even the prohibition, that God put into their life. Everything that you see and everything that is good is yours. Except one thing, this right here. Because I love you, I don't want you to eat from this tree. This is where I have locked up the knowledge of good and evil. And because I love you, I don't want you to know that. How many know your love for your children will help will keep you, will will make you keep them from evil? You don't want them to see things. You don't want them to experience things. There's things you don't want them to get a part of. How many know there's just some things they don't need to know? God says, I love you enough. I'm gonna lock this up. Trust me, you don't need this. And what's the first thing you want when somebody tells you you can't have it? I want the thing I can't have. A man rebels, sins against God. When he sins against God, how many know death enters in and now man is separated from God by his sin. What is this loving God supposed to do? What is this incredible loving God who loves his creation so much, who made a decision to separate themselves from him through sin? What does he do? My love's going to make a way. I'm going to make a way. The first thing he did was out of his love, he killed and he shed the blood of animals to cover their shame, their guilt, and their nakedness. I'm going to cover you. You sinned. You're naked and ashamed because of your own doing but I love you enough to cover you. How many of you know we cover our children even when they do dumb stuff? I'm gonna cover you. And out of his love, he then put a plan into place whereby he would one day bring the Messiah into the world, the Redeemer into the world. Remember what he said? He said, that serpent is gonna bite your heel, but my Redeemer is gonna crush his head. You see, he made a prophetic pronouncement in chapter three. And out of his love, he then created a people, Israel, the Hebrews, that he would display himself to the world. God's always been looking for a people through whom he can manifest himself and reveal himself to the world. Adam and Eve, the Hebrews, Israelites. And then out of his love, he would create this people to be a holy priest, a holy nation, and then he would put a system into place that would atone for the sins of the people rather than for their sins to constantly stand against them. Every day in the Old Testament, every year there was one day of the year, it was called the Great Day of Atonement, that God put a system into place where blood would be shed to cover the sins of the people for another year. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that year after year? That God did it once on Calvary's cross. And he put this system in place. and, And out of his love, he was willing to shed the blood of innocent animals for the guilty people. And he put this. Now, all through the Old Testament, we will see a God who would find ways for his presence to be among his people. Do you get get from the the beginning of the Bible to the end, God had a desire? I want to be with my people. I want to dwell among my people. I want to be among them. And yet it was sin that kept them separated. Now watch this. If you look into the Old Testament, the tabernacle, that was God's dwelling place among his people. The Holy of Holies was the meeting place of God with the high priest on, for the sins of the people. The Ark and the Covenant would lead them through the wilderness and across the Jordan and into the Promised Land. The Ark of the Covenant was his manifest presence that would lead them into victory. The pillar of fire by night led them out of Israel. The cloud by day would lead them. The prophets were all messengers of God to reveal God to the people that he loved. The kings were God's servants to lead, to guide, to provide and protect the people that God loved. The temple became a place where God met and provided for atonement with his people. Along the way, he had men and women who would reveal him to the rest of the world. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joshua, Gideon, the judges. God would manifest himself through them in a variety of means, the Bible says. But now, everybody say, but now. But now, God was ready to do something else. Isaiah prophesied that you will, there will be a child and his name will be Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means what? God with us. No longer would it be a tabernacle, no longer would it be something made by man's hands, but now it will be Jesus who was God incarnate, God in flesh. Jesus was the expression of this passionate, crazy lover of humanity. Through Jesus, he was ready to show the world how much he loved them. Jesus was God's gift of love to the world. Man, think about this for a moment. What was God's greatest gift to the world? Jesus. Jesus was his gift of love to the world. He was the expression of God so that man could see God. Listen, when when you encountered Jesus, you were encountering God. When the woman at the well encountered Jesus, she encountered God. When that sinful woman encountered Jesus, she encountered God. When that leper encountered Jesus, he encountered God. When the tax collector encountered Jesus, he encountered God. You see, everybody wants to tell you what God is like. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus was the perfect presentation of God. You want want the perfect presentation of God? You look at Jesus. I said this Wednesday night. There's a lot of people who want to explain to you what God is like. If, it doesn't, if, he, if that explanation does not look like Jesus, it's not God. If it does not sound like Jesus, it's not God. If it does not have the spirit of Jesus, it is not God. All right, there's lots of people want to present this God that doesn't look like my Jesus. It's amazing. They'll portray him as something he is not. Through Jesus, Emmanuel, would express his love to the object of his affection. Through Jesus, he would draw us to his love. Through Jesus, he would cause us to see what today would be called a scandalous love. This love of a perfect God towards a sinful, imperfect people. He would display his voracious love, his insatiable appetite, his fanatical love. All right, and, and, and so, so let's talk about this. Jesus was his perfect presentation, but also he was the perfect representation of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes as a pastor, I get to stand up here and I'm trying to present or represent God. Now, I know this is a stretch for you. I'm not always that perfect representation. This side laughed a whole lot better than that side. Like, um, I, I'm saying this side is more righteous than that side. They were, that laughter really showed they agreed. You guys, at least you were thinking about it, all right? And I want you to know that it's predominantly the Tyrone section where my wife is from. And I could, and I could tell you a few things about them too. We'll save that for another message someday. But I'm not always this perfect representation of who God is. Adam was created in the image of God to represent God to all the world, to creation, and he was not a perfect representation because he sinned. The birth of Jesus was now God giving the second Adam, the Bible says, the last Adam, who would now be a perfect representation of me. So people are drawn to God. This was this moment where God... Bent low so man could come high. Think about this. God's love caused the Creator to become like the created. God created humanity. If you're the Creator of something, how many know you're greater than it? And yet the Bible says that Jesus, who was, the Bible says that Jesus who was God, emptied himself and became like man. Think about this. You're God. You're part of the Trinity. You're part of the Godhead. You've created humanity. But because you love them so much, you say, I'm going to set my rights aside for a moment. I'm going to set my prerogatives to the side for a moment so that I can become like them. So that they can become like me, this incredible God that we serve, that his love caused the Creator to become like the created god 's love caused the king to become like a servant. The Bible says he humbled himself and became like a servant. The Son of Man came to seek and to save. That which was lost. The son of man did not come to be served, but rather to serve. You see, when you're looking at the life of Jesus, you are seeing this God who says, I love you enough that I'm gonna come and seek and I'm gonna save you and I'm gonna serve you. I mean, no, that's love. How many of you ever serve your children? Humble yourself to serve your children. Sure you do. Why? Out of your love. Let me tell you about Jesus' life on earth. Let me tell you about his life. How many know it's okay, let me let me let me start here. Men. How many remember, okay, that your bride was the most beautiful thing you ever saw? a boy, you're doing well. From now on, we'll get it down. I'll just do this, and you get ready. This is me setting it up, all right? You just get ready. I'll set it up. You, all right. You might, I'm going to get some of you to jump up. <clears throat> you saw her. Now, I'm not talking about when you got married. I'm talking about the first time you saw her. And you're like, oh, man. Whoa. I want to get to know her. Notice it was not. Her personality that drew you to her. If you're telling me you were drew to her personality first, you're a liar. I can tell you where I was sitting in the church when I was 16 years old and saw this beautiful girl who is now my beautiful wife. I didn't know her from Adam. Didn't know if she was nice or not. Now I know. I'm not telling you which it is. <laughs> like, 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 I, I, I remember. Oh, Gosh, she's beautiful. How do I get to know her? Hmm. i start scheming. So, what do you do? Well, you figure out a way to get her going on a date. I know. My dad has a 66 baby blue Corvette with a rag top. That might help. <laughs> you see, there was this beauty that drew you to your wife. Well, what was it that would draw people to Jesus? The Bible tells me that he had no stately form or majesty, that we should look upon him, nor in appearance that we should be attracted to him. You see, Jesus lived in such a way that the only thing to draw us to him was his love. The only thing to draw us to Jesus was his love. The Bible says he had no stately form. The Bible says he had no majesty. He did, how many know he did not have wealth? He didn't have wealth. They needed tax money. He took get out and get that fish and get some money out of that fish, sir. Right? How many know it's easy to be drawn to somebody with wealth? It'd be easy to draw into a, a Messiah with wealth. He did not have the power to impress you, although I'll talk about power in just a moment. He didn't have a pedigree that would excite you. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was born to a woman who was engaged to another man. We're talking to him about a guy, if you read the genealogy, he's got a prostitute in that genealogy. We're talking about a guy who, if you read the pedigree and you read the genealogy, there's a murderer in there. I mean, no, that's not the best pedigree. He didn't have a pedigree. He didn't come with the beauty of the world so that his beauty could not be confused. He came in humility, not might. He came in a donkey, not a horse. He came in weakness, not power. He came to serve, not be served. He came in a way that was unassuming, that would accentuate his love. You see, you gotta understand something. He had to live in such a way that we would be drawn to him because of his love, not anything else. The Bible says that his loving kindness leads me, draws me to repentance. That he is so good and he is so loving that I want to return my love to him. I want to be drawn to him. And Jesus lived a life this way. That moment in time when he would accept the limitations of humanity so humanity would rise above its limitations. That time that his love would draw us to him. And, and then, as he lived this life, the Bible says something happened. He quotes, Luke, he quotes Isaiah chapter 61. And he quotes it in Luke. And he begins to say this, he says, and Jesus says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captive, sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord is given upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted. You see, there is this anointing upon his life And the anointing on his life is power. And because God loves humanity, he anointed his son. Because how many know his anointing was an anointing of power on the behalf of humanity? God anointed Jesus to put the full power of God on display. Think about this. So Jesus is walking this earth. He's got no stately form. He's got no money. He's got all these. What does he got? An anointing. And with this anointing, he could walk up. And he could go to a person, be healed. Open up an ear. Open up blind eyes. He could raise the dead. With this anointing, the power of God was now on display for all the people. How many of have ever encountered the power of God? Where God has touched you. And why would God do that? Because listen to me. Because God anointed Jesus with power to put God's love on full display. Never, ever miss this fundamental truth. The anointing is something that empowers human flesh. But the reason God empowers human flesh is because God loves human flesh. Because God says, I love you enough that I want to operate my power in and through your life. Jesus takes that anointing that's on his life he comes to a man that Troy preached about two weeks ago and did a great job preaching and he talks about a man that we call more by his past than we do his present we know him as blind Bartimaeus why would God enable Jesus to heal that man because God loved that man why would he give him the ability to heal that leper because the anointing is about demonstrating God's power to reveal God's love the anointing of God in your life is never to point to you, it's always to point to God's love. It's to point to God's love. And I would suggest this to the church that when the church comes back to the place where it's more concerned about demonstrating the love of God, I believe the power of God will come back to the house. We are trying to produce the power without the motivation of love. When now, what breaks your heart, God says, I'll empower you to do something about. This anointing would draw people. This love would draw people. This incredible God. You see, love was born in that manger. Love was manifested. This is the revelation of my love. Here's the gift of my love. Here's the expression of my love. Here's the representation of my love. You see, It's this God. It's Jesus. It's a demonstration of it. God's love would cause the sinless to die for the sinful. You watch him in the gospels. You watch him through his life. You watch the anointing on his life. How that love would empower, that power, that love would be demonstrated in power. But then came that day that God planned, that God planned from Genesis chapter three. From Genesis 3, God had a plan that one day, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Christ. It's funny. There's a great scripture. See if I can remember it. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 7, a pagan sorcerer was being paid by a pagan king to curse God's people. His name was Balaam. And every time he opened up his mouth, he could do nothing but speak the blessings of God. (laughs) Such a funny story. In one of those prophecies, he said this I see him, but not now. A star is born, a scepter is coming out of Jacob. A star is born. All through the scripture, it points us to that day where God would bring his son into the world to put him on Calvary's cross so that the sinful would die for the the sinless, would die for the sinful. I belonged on that cross, you belonged on that cross. Your sin, my sin, that God's love caused Jesus to taste death so that you and I could taste life. If he doesn't taste death, I can't taste life. If he doesn't go to Calvary, I die in my sins. If his blood isn't shed, I die in my sins. But oh, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for his love. Thank God that when he went to that grave, come on, the Bible says that in three days, God raised him from the dead. You know why he raised him from the dead? Because he loves you. He loves me. He loves the world. The story is so much bigger. You, you see, the problem is we, we, we come to this time of year as Christians and we know the story so much and we kind of, I, I, I've challenged us, I challenged us Wednesday night that we take this story and we go deeper and broader and get away from the simplicities, on the, like get away from the triteness of it, okay? That we would go deeper, we would go broader. We say, wait a minute, this is not, t- I'm trying to be careful here this morning. How many kids are in here yet? I get it. It's his birthday in terms of humanity. But it was not the beginning of his existence. He existed before the foundations of the world. He was part of creation. He's the ancient of days. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the bright morning star. He did not begin December 25th, 2,000 years ago. Can we go broader and we go deeper so that we can get a revelation of this incredible God? This incredible God. The story of Christmas is a story of love being born in a manger. Yes, it comes in the form of a baby. It comes in the form of a baby. But who that baby was meant everything. It's the story of a God who would dwell among human flesh, who would reveal his majesty in human flesh, who would reveal his power in limited humanity, who would reveal his glory in the weakness of human flesh. It was this incredible God that says, now's the moment where I'm going to let people see the full expression of my love. What's the story? The story is love was born in a manger. And I'm going to say those three magical words I say every week. The three words that bring the most joy in the house all week. The three most anticipated words of my message every week. And I'm going to have you help me with it this morning. Everybody, one, two, three. (laughs) Because they know when they say, come on, Troy, it's only going to be another 20 minutes. Praise the Lord. You see, what I want you to walk away with today is one foundation that brings confidence in your life. That no matter what happens, no matter what comes, there's one thing you know. I am loved by God. Your husband may leave you tomorrow. You're loved by God. Your wife may leave you tomorrow. God loves you. Your children may reject you today. They may reject you tomorrow. They may have rejected you yesterday. But your God still loves you. What can separate me from the love of God? The Bible tells me nothing can separate me from the love of God. The devil can try to steal everything he can take from you. But he cannot take the love of God. It is the confidence by which you live. It is the confidence by which he keeps you from doing things you should not do. Come on. You say, why, why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? Because I can't, because I got a loving God that I don't want to do this because this will break his heart. I mean, it's a lot easier to sin when you view it that not to sin when you view it that way. When we view only sin as breaking rules, all of us broke rules, but what about when we view it as breaking the heart of God? I just don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. What I want you to understand is there's a foundation in your life through which you can stand through any storm, through which you can stand through anything that this world throws at you, from which you can look everything in the eye and say, one thing I know, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. But let me say this to you. You say, well, what does he want in return? What does he want in return? What you wanted when you chased that girl. What you wanted when you chased that guy. What you wanted when you gave it to those children. You want to be loved in return. What does he want? He wants to be loved in return. How do I know that? I'm glad you asked. They said, what's the most important commandment? Jesus. What's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, your soul, your strength. The greatest commandment, love the Lord, love God. if he says that's the most important, how many know what he's looking for in return? Oh, and by the way, he says, oh, oh, and, and how do I know when that has taken root in me? How do you know when it has taken root in you? Good question. Because the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's just sometimes hard. It's a lot easier to love God than it is your neighbor sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, when you have come to a place where you understand the love of God, and it has taken root in you, and you love Him in return first, all of a sudden, it gets easier to love those around you. And you sacrifice, and you love. And all of a sudden, He begins. Because what happens is, the Bible tells me that when I come into that love relationship with Him, and I... And I I come to that place of salvation. The Bible tells me that now God puts his Holy Spirit in me. Which how many know is a deposit of his love? And he puts that Holy Spirit in me. And the Bible says there's two things that happen out of that. That he now begins to put to death the sins and the deeds of this body. He begins to change me from the inside out. Aren't you glad we don't have to change from the outside in? And now this Holy Spirit begins to do things in and through my life. One of those can be the power of God. Where the gifts of the Spirit operate through your life. It can be healing. Prophecy. Discernment. Things that are supernatural endowments of God for you to use to express the love of God to those around you. That's what those gifts are for. But then... The Bible says that there's something else produced in you, which is called the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. All of a sudden, you're a whole lot nicer than you used to be. Some of you need to work on that. All of a sudden, you can love like you've never loved. All of a sudden, you have patience that you never had. And it didn't come from you, it came from what He put inside of you. And now, you who became a receptacle a receiving entity of his love, now become a conduit of his love to the humanity around you. What was it that was born that Christmas? Love was born. What do I want to be birthed in this house this morning? I want the love of God to be birthed in your heart this morning. I want the love of God to be born in your heart this morning. That you see it, you understand it, and you say, I want that love in my life. I want it. Come on, stand up with me this morning. That's, now that's another three magic words. Stand up with me. All right, or four, or whatever it is. And that means another 20 minutes. Okay. But well, listen to me this morning. I want to know this morning. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. But what I want to know this morning is do you know that God loves you? I want you to walk out of here knowing one thing: God loves me. You say, "If God loved me, this wouldn't have happened. If God loved me, that wouldn't have happened. I've got things in my life I wish wouldn't have happened, but they did not happen because God didn't love me. God loves me through them. And his love becomes a manifestation through them and becomes real to me and stronger to me. I want you to walk out of here with that foundation and that confidence. I want you, believers, to walk out of here saying, not only am I going to become a receptacle of that love, I'm going to become a conduit of that love. Love is born here this day. Father, in this house this morning, there's all kinds of people, all kinds of people from all kinds of places, all kinds of situations. There's a variety of things that make us different. Some are short, some are tall, some are skinny, some are like me. Some are old, some are young, some are middle. Some are white, some are black. There's a lot of things that make us different. Some have money, some don't have money. But there's one thing we all have in common, is that you love us all equally. You do not love that one more than you love that one. You do not love me more than you love them. The one thing that makes us common is your love. Today we celebrate that. say, how do I receive that love of God? (laughs) It's it's really simple. You're not receiving a thing. You're receiving a person because the Bible says God is love. You're not receiving a thing, man. You're receiving a person. And so this morning I would say to you, will you receive Jesus? not will you receive salvation because I mean you know, salvation comes with Jesus man I could go to a whole another message right now I won't, trust me right? I'm saying this morning will you receive Jesus and when you receive Jesus you're receiving the love of God and the Bible says when you receive Jesus you become born again you become a child of God going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. I'm going to do one thing. I'm not going to drag this out. I'm not looking for an emotional response. I'm looking for you to have a response that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm just going to simply ask you to do one thing. If you're here today and you say, I want to receive Jesus. Just put your hand up now. We're just going to pray this in our heart. We're going to pray something like this in our heart. You can pray it with me. You can pray it in your heart. Father, I come to you now. And Lord, I I heard your message and I see your message. And I see your incredible love for me. I see the extent that you are willing to go. I see the expression of your love and your son, Jesus. I see how crazy in love with me you are and what you are willing to do. And because of that, I want to love you in return. Because of that, I want to receive your son into my life. And I'm giving myself to you. I'm giving myself to him. Fill my life. Change me from within. Produce something in me. That has been longing for years. Produce something in me that's not there that I see in others. Produce something in me that you want by your Holy Spirit. This day, love is born. But not in a manger. This day, love is born. Not in a building. This day, love is born in a heart. The dwelling place of God is in you. This day, this day, love is born in you, in Jesus' name. And God's people said,